Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 53 of the podcast. If you've been listening with us, we've been away for a little while, but we are back, and it is so good to be back with you. It is our first episode with Flow Hockey and Flow Sports. So glad to have joined the Flow family here. We'll be on the Flow Sports Podcast Network, and you can also watch our podcast for the first time on Flow Hockey. You can get that at flowhockey.tv along with all the other great content. And if you are a previous listener of Talking Hockey Sense, thanks for coming back. I'm really excited to be back with you here. And nothing's really going to change in terms of the content of the podcast. It's just going to be available in a bunch of different ways, which is really exciting for me, especially since we've never had a video element to this podcast. And we also have a producer too. Colt is our, our producer, Colt Joyce. Thanks for being there behind there and the, on the ones and twos. Uh, I've been doing this by myself for a long time, so it's nice to have a little bit more of a professional feel to this podcast, and I'm sure the listeners will appreciate that as well. But there's a lot to get to. It's the beginning of the hockey season. There's so much excitement here. We've got rookie tournaments on the way. The 2023 draft season is pretty much already underway with a couple of summer tournaments that we've already gone through. There's just so much to talk about, and we're going to get through all of that here. But before we did that, I just wanted to explain a couple more things about the transition to Flow Hockey. As I mentioned, we'll now have video. You get that at flowhockey.tv. You'll see some of the clips on social as well. Make sure you're following at Flow Hockey to make sure you don't miss any of those types of things because it's a great way to get the word out about the podcast. Also, if you are uh, a longtime listener or a new listener, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. It's still going to be available at all the same places. You really don't have to do anything if you're already subscribed, but if you haven't yet, please do subscribe. Leave a kind rating and review. Help us get the word out about this podcast, especially now that we're at our new home with Flow Hockey. We want to make sure everybody is getting their prospect content because that's what we talk about here. We talk about pretty much everything beneath the NHL, college hockey, junior hockey, um, uh, everything in between, minor league hockey. We're going to have it all for you right here on Talking Hockey Sense, just as we always have. We'll talk a little bit about the 2023 draft today. We'll talk about the upcoming rookie tournaments. Next week, we've got the USHL, which you can watch on Flow Hockey as well. That will be starting up. So there's a lot that's coming your way and more of my content as well. I, I transitioned to Flow Hockey uh, earlier this summer. Technically, the, the senior, uh, senior content creator for Flow Hockey uh, and Flow Sports. Really excited to have joined that team. And, and this is a company that's really invested in hockey. And that's what attracted me to it in the first place was to come to a place where hockey mattered and it really does matter here at flow sports really excited to be part of the team as we get that rolling so there's plenty of that that you're going to be able to kind of follow along we'll still have nhl draft rankings there we'll have prospect rankings farm system rankings power rankings for teams in the ushl the ccha the echl uh atlantic hockey all the leagues that we have under the flow hockey umbrella Really excited to have the USHL as part of that. I live right in USHL country. Um, I'm in Iowa, if you didn't know that before. And right in my backyard, we got the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders, the Waterloo Blackhawks, the Buke Fighting Saints. So you'll be seeing a lot of USHL content on Flow Hockey as well, which is really great for all those fans that are, are just learning their new subscription and, and getting around and, and being able to watch all those games live. And of course, the USHL Fall Classic is the start of the season. That's on September 22nd. But you can watch a number of preseason USHL games already uh, on Flow Hockey. You can catch the ones if you miss them as well. So 
just wanted to kind of run down, give you a little bit of an explanation of where we're at, why we're here, why it's a little bit different, but largely it's going to be the same. So normally we'll have a guest here with me this week just to get the podcast rolling. You guys are familiar with the Q&A episodes. That's kind of what we're going to do. Uh, but I'm also going to talk a little bit more about the preview of the season because that's really what we got to get to. And, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of time here to kind of go through it because I think we got to start with the 2023 NHL draft because that's what has already started. We had the World Juniors, the Holinka Gretzky Cup. There's been a lot of events already kind of as the buildup to the 2023 NHL draft. And as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fan of pod, of, of prospects. And you probably have heard the name Connor Bedard a half million times already. Well, we're going to talk about him first because really that's the guy that everybody's focused on this year. It's all about Connor Bedard, the projected number one overall pick, a tremendous player. We've got a full story about why there's so much hype about Connor Bedard, why people are so excited, and why some NHL teams are not so secretly tanking uh, to, to get that number one overall pick in the NHL draft lottery. But, you know, it all starts with him being an elite goal-scoring talent. you got to score goals to win in the NHL, and he scores them in bunches. He had 51 goals for the Regina Pats last year, the youngest player in history to, to cross the 50-goal threshold in the WHL. And then, of course, you saw him at the World Juniors, scored four goals there. Kind of worked his way down the lineup, unfortunately, a little bit. You know, he didn't get the same opportunities. He was playing with Mason McTavish at the beginning of the tournament. But that, I thought that was a good thing. It allowed us to see kind of what, what adversity he's willing to deal with and the fact that when he's not at the top of the lineup, how can he impact the game in different ways? And he was still very dangerous, even though he was getting limited ice time. And, and certainly Canada's power play was especially deadly with him, except for the gold medal game, which they did end up winning in one of the craziest finishes we've ever seen to a World Juniors. Mason McTavish uh, is the guy that will be forever known for that uh, weird summer world juniors that was especially weird for me because i got covid while i was there i was i was at the tournament i was all excited to be there and uh then i got covid and had to stay in my hotel room for a while but i was able to see the finish of the tournament and you know able to get some some more live viewings of connor bedard so bringing it back to bedard you know there's a lot of talk about you know how does he stack up against connor mcdavid and 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 those guys that you know really nhl teams were fighting over each other for at the NHL draft. Um, guys like McDavid and, and Austin Matthews. Well, I wouldn't put Connor McDavid, or sorry, Connor Bedard rather, in that category with those two players. I mean, I, I think that they are heads above. They're different. You know, McDavid has the elite speed. Matthews has the size to go along with his elite offensive talent. Bedard's a bit of a smaller player. He's going to have to get stronger. He's going to have to be able to, you know, if he's not going to get a lot taller, he's going to have to be sturdy enough to, to be able to, stand up against the teams that are going to be there. So that's one thing where he's got a little bit of a separation between him and those two guys. He's not the the elite skater, um, you know, to, to be able to deal with the pressure of being a, a highly offensive player. So Connor Bedard has a lot to work on this year, but we expect him because of his offensive hockey sense, because of his elite shot, because of the way that he works a game and, and can take over games, you know, the size doesn't necessarily matter as much. The 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 speed, you know, or lack thereof. And I'm not saying he's slow because he can absolutely skate and he he still can back down defenders and he can beat him one on one with his hands. But it's just you know that brain that he has, that shot that he has. They're such elite weapons that it's really not going to matter. And I, I think it's be very difficult for somebody to knock him off. But you know, we're going to talk a lot about this 2023 draft. And there's always talk about how good it is and and 
right now, the only thing that we kind of know for sure, and we don't really know it for sure, but we know the, the information that we have now says the top of this draft is a lot more exciting than the last draft. That it just is. You know, we we didn't have that consensus number one. We thought we did with Shane Wright, but obviously in the end, he ends up going fourth overall to Seattle and everything kind of changes. So this year, I think there is a little bit more competition. I don't think that Connor Bedard is without competition for number one. He's certainly unlikely to be caught, but as we saw last year, anything can happen. And there's a number of players that will be coming up right behind him in this group. And, and one of them is Matvey Mitchkov, who plays in Russia. There's a lot of things about that. You've heard his name too. I think he's a genius level hockey player. You know, he's not a big guy, similar to Bedard. He's not an amazing skater, similar to Bedard. But he is an elite, elite goal scorer. And he has some of the best net sense I've ever seen. His ability to find the net, figure out where the goalie is, figure out where the shot has to go without even looking um, is, is always one of the amazing things that he does so exceptionally well. But as I mentioned, you know, there's obviously a lot of strife in Russia geopolitically right now. So that's one element of it. But I think, as we saw in the last draft, NHL teams aren't afraid to draft Russians. These are teenagers. They don't have anything to do with what's going on in the world. Um, and, you know, the, the only concern now is how easy will it be to get them over here? Well, in Mafei Mitchkov's case, it's actually a little bit more challenging because he's under a long-term contract with uh, SKA St. Petersburg, which is one of the top clubs in the KHL. They don't let their players go easily. And certainly with him under contract, it's unlikely that we would see him before the 2026-27 season. So if you're an NHL team, how do you wait that long? That's going to be one of the questions. And I think if there is a team that ends up winning the lottery that has a little bit more of a timeline and doesn't necessarily need someone right away, you know, they can be patient and they could get a game-changing player. We saw Kirill Kaprizov and how he changed the fortunes of the Minnesota Wild seemingly overnight by, by his arrival. And it was delayed. It was, they had to wait for him. They had to be patient. But the Minnesota Wild are one of the more exciting teams now just because of him, which is something we haven't been able to say about the Wild over the years. So that's the kind of impact that I can see a Matt Mitchkov making at the NHL level. And that's why I think that you know, don't rule him out completely. It's unlikely because of all the things I just mentioned that he would unseat Connor Bedard, but he's a very special player. And unfortunately, he got injured in the preseason, so we haven't seen him play a regular season game yet. Um, so he's supposed to be skating, supposed to return soon. We'll see when that happens, but that's another thing where you know players of his size, you get concerned about you know how do they hold up against certain things. And he was the subject of a bit of a dirty hit, so you know that's just one of those things where it could happen to anybody. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. The other guy that I think a lot of people are going to be keeping a very close eye on when it comes to number one in this draft is Adam Fantilli at the University of Michigan. He played in the USHL for the Chicago Steel for the last two years. Um, in his 16-year-old uh, season, he was the MVP of the Clark Cup playoffs, scored more goals than anybody. He had eight goals in the playoff run as Chicago ends up winning the Clark Cup. Um, you know, he is a completely different player from Connor Bedard. They're going to get compared and contrasted a lot this year. You got one guy in major junior, one guy in college hockey. Fantilli is a little bit older as he's a late birth date from the previous birth year. Whereas, you know, Bedard is a, an 05 and Fantilli's an 04. Um, you know, and, and he'll be playing as a true freshman, a younger than true freshman, essentially, um, at the University of Michigan this year, which has been a powerhouse program. They've got a great team, a lot of high-level, high-profile prospects there, including Luke Hughes, who was the number four overall pick of the New Jersey Devils two years ago. Frank Nazar, who was a high pick of the Chicago Blackhawks. 
and so many more that are going to make an impact. And, and so you've got Adam Fantilli kind of getting a lot of the attention that we saw Owen Power get in his freshman season when he ended up going number one to Buffalo, now signed with the Sabres. He's getting ready there. So he's another guy from that Chicago Steel to Michigan pipeline um, that is is making an impact. But don't count out Fantilli just yet in terms of his, his potential to rise here because I'll tell you what, he, he's a bigger player. He's closing in on six foot three, over 200 pounds. Um, he's strong. He's quick. He's physical. Um, you know, he plays such an aggressive style. So he can impact the game in a lot of different ways. You know, I would never say that Connor Bedard is one dimensional. His goal scoring is his best trait. And he does a lot of other things well. He's also an exceptional passer. Um, it's just that you want him shooting the puck more. Adam Fantilli is kind of more of an, an all-around player. You're going to get some good two-way value from him. You're going to get some physicality from him, a power game. That size factor is something that will be a bit of a separation between these two players. And Fantilli's more physically mature. And so I think he's going to hold up pretty well against the college, uh, the college game. So that's something that you're going to have to watch throughout this season is how does Adam Fantilli adjust to the college game and how much is he able to dominate? If he's able to have a big season, and, and, you know, at least challenge. Do we get into that Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel kind of situation that we had a few years back when those were the top two guys in their draft class? You know, they were so far, far and away the best guys in the class. And while McDavid was far and away the number one, Eichel was a really good number two. I think Fantilli could be that this year. We're going to wait and see. He had a great season. One note that I, as I was researching, kind of getting ready for the 2023 draft season, one thing I'll say about Adam Fantilli, in the USHL last season, he had what will go down as the best season for a draft minus one. So a player a year away from his draft eligibility, that he had the best season in the USHL for any player of that caliber. Tied for, I believe, you know, Thomas Vanek was another one that was an exceptional player. But Fantilli did it in, a, in an era where it's been, uh, you know, the USHL has just gotten better and better and better. And so for him to have had that productive season with the Chicago Steel last year, I believe it was 73 points, which, you know, it, it's one of the best draft minus one seasons that league has ever seen. So that just goes to show you that Adam Fantilli, very much a special player. Some of the other guys that you're going to hear about in this draft class, you know, Braden Yeager had a great Holinka Gretzky Cup. He was outstanding for Canada there. He showed his full complement of skills. He's got speed. He's got skill, you know, the, the, the hand skills. He can beat defenders one-on-one. -on -one. He makes so many high-level offensive plays. They've got the top defenseman in the class, Cameron Allen, who plays for the Guelph Storm. He was the OHL Rookie of the Year, had an exceptional season, really good production for them. I think he's going to take a big step forward this year. He's not a big guy, but he's a right-shot defenseman with mobility, and he really moves pucks exceptionally well. I think that's going to be a guy that a lot of teams are, are zeroing in on as that top defenseman in this class. So we're going to have to wait and see because it's going to take a little bit of time for him to kind of mature and do all the things that we want to see him do um, in, 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 you know, to, to, to take the next step because he isn't, he doesn't have the size factor, which, you know, a number of top level defensemen that we've seen in the last few drafts have, but those are some names to know. Also, as I mentioned, USHL is going to be on flow hockey. So you're going to be able to see all of those games and a lot of high-level draft talent. So the Chicago Steel is always a place where you're going to see that. Jaden Perron is a guy that you absolutely have to watch. Um, he, is, he is one of the guys that, that will be viewed for this, uh, this upcoming draft class as, as a potential high-level prospect. We'll see if he can get into that first-round conversation and stay there throughout the season. He's going to need to have a big season, but he played very well last year. 
over at the national team development program, USA Hockey, you know, out in Plymouth, Michigan, the national under 18 team, they've got a number of players that are clear, you know, clear candidates to be first round draft picks. I think you you look at a guy like a Ryan Leonard, who's got size and some snarl to him, you know, probably a little bit further down in terms of where he might go in the first round. He's not necessarily that offensive uh, juggernaut, but he's got a lot of skill and he had a really good showing at the under 18 world championship where USA won silver. Uh, Will Smith, uh, not the actor, but the player, uh, another guy to keep a close eye on, highly skilled, some quick jittery movements out there on the ice. Um, he'll be exciting to see. And then Oliver Moore uh, is another guy that I'm really keeping a close eye on this year. He didn't make the under-18 team as an underager, but I do think that his skill um, as a U-17 last year and having seen him live a few times and the speed that he plays with, he's going to get into that conversation as well. Uh, as a top-level guy from the National Team Development Program. So those are some guys that you'll be able to see right here on Flow Hockey as they go through their draft season, and we'll have it all for you, starting with the USHL Fall Classic, uh, where the under-18 team will play in the last two days of the Fall Classic. You'll be able to see the Chicago Steel and all of the USHL teams at that event, which will take place in Pittsburgh, and Flow Hockey will be there providing a lot of content for you. So plenty of great things happening. Um, with that NHL draft that we're we're so excited to watch. And, and I do think this will be a good class. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of, you know, you can't say, oh, this is going to be the, one of the best classes ever because we really only are focused on the top level guys. And then while they look very good, you know, we still have to allow this draft season to play out. It's amazing how long the season ends up being when you break it down into the NHL draft season. So, you know, that's that's kind of what we have to, be patient about is that yes, Connor Bedard's awesome. Matt Vaymichkov looks elite. You know, we've got other guys like Charlie Stramel at the University of Wisconsin. You got Fantilli. You've got all these different players that are that bring different things that we're excited to see. But until we get through, you know, the first few months of the season, we won't have a real clear picture of kind of how the class is shaping up. Um, the good news is, is that this season, unlike any of the last few, should be the most normal draft season, knock on every piece of wood in the house for that one, but this should be the most normal draft season that we've had in three years. And that's going to be great because, you know, we 2019-20 ends up getting shut down early. 2020-21, we had some leagues not even playing. 2021-22, couple COVID disruptions. We lost the World Juniors in the middle of it as it was happening. You know, so there were, there were kind of these stops and starts to last season. Um, and, you know, we're still recovering from that lost season. So many players in Ontario didn't have anywhere to play during that 2020-21 season unless they went overseas or to the U.S. So that was a, a real opportunity, you know, for us to kind of reevaluate. Of, well, what do we do with those players that lost an entire year of development? And now those guys have at least had a year to kind of build up to this next season, which is going to be so important to so many of them. So that's another thing that we'll be keeping a, a very close eye on as things kind of get rolling, um, seeing how those Ontario players really matriculate over the course of the season and those guys that didn't have anywhere to play the year before. But we, we've had our Holinka Gretzky Cup, the full complement except for Russia, which is still banned from international competition. So didn't see any of the Russians there, but Canada ended up winning that event. They steamrolled that event. They were outstanding throughout. Um, you know, But Sweden, we saw there's definitely some players there that have have an opportunity to, to, to make an impact on this draft year. Um, you know, we, we, we got to see, you know, the U S doesn't send the national under 18 team from the NTDP, but we did see, you know, Quentin musty, uh, William Whitelaw, a number of players that, that have a chance to be uh, really good, 
draft eligible players this year out of the U.S. Um, that we that we were able to see there. But that was kind of the the appetizer. Then we got to the NHL draft uh, or the sorry the World Junior Championship that was played. You know the rescheduled World Juniors, and it was not quite you know what we wanted in terms of the NHL draft caliber talent. But we did have Connor Bedard, Charlie Stramel was there from the U.S. Uh, Dalibor Dvorsky was there from from uh, Slovakia, so you know he could be the next great Slovakian player uh, to come through after we saw Yuri Slavkovsky go number one last year. But you know, I, I think that we're still waiting to see, and 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 this week will be a big one because you've got you know major juniors starting up, the USHL starting up, college hockey coming up very soon thereafter, um, and so it's all starting and it's all happening at the right time, and we'll be able to have all of the events that we normally would have, like U18, Five Nations the CHL top prospects game, you know, the All-American prospects game, all of these different events we're going to be able to have, you know, where they're supposed to be, which gives scouts a really good opportunity to get back into the rhythm of season. Um, I think that last year that was probably one of the hardest things for me as somebody that evaluates prospects. We didn't have some of those benchmark events which allow us to kind of tick off, okay, how's this player doing here? How's this player doing there? How's it, you know, at these various stages of the season and how they build up? And so that's what we're we're looking forward to with this season is that it's a little bit more normal. It's a little bit easier to stomach. You know, we're, it's easier to track as well. So we're going to have a lot of really good opportunities to see these players in the normal setting that we would have. And I think that'll make for better decisions at the draft. I think it'll. I, I think NHL teams have also taken what they've learned from the pandemic, how to use video, how to use it more effectively, and how to work a little bit smarter as opposed to you know. You, you can watch three or four games in a day now uh, when, you know, or, or more if you want, depending on how, how motivated you might be. It's hard to stare at a screen the whole time, but, you know, you do that, you combine that with your live viewings, and all of a sudden you've got a much clearer picture of these players. So I think we're even going to see improved um, hit rates for NHL teams coming out of the pandemic because they learned so much in terms of how to use analytics properly, how to use um, the, the video as, as, a, as a supplement to the live viewings that are so important to scouts to, to get a feel for players and then also those in-person meetings and things like the NHL scouting combine. So plenty there, uh, but the NHL draft, really excited to get that rolling this season because I think there's going to be so much that these players are going to be able to show us uh, over the year. And uh, obviously excited for Bedard, excited for Fantilli, uh, for Michkov and everybody else in this class. A lot of great names that you will learn throughout and we'll talk about all of them right here on Talking Hockey Sense. But in the more immediate future, and by immediate future, I mean as we record this, the end of this week, NHL rookie tournaments are getting underway. They are happening across the continent. Um, you'll see them in Canada, in the U.S. I will actually be on the road next week. I'm heading to the San Jose Rookie Faceoff, which will feature six teams from out west, including the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, who you look at their prospect roster, and there's a lot of free agent tryouts there because they've been on this quest for the Stanley Cup, which they've now achieved. And, and when that happens, you don't tend to have a whole lot of prospects, and that's the case for the Avalanche. They have uh, Oscar Olawson, one of their first-rounders, will be there, and also Eustace and the goaltender, who is kind of the goalie of the future for Colorado, will also be competing. So looking forward to seeing them. But you know, we're also going to have the San Jose Sharks, Los Angeles Kings, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, the Anaheim Ducks, the Vegas Golden Knights, 
Um, you know, so and the, the San Jose Sharks are going to be hosting this at Tech CU Arena, which is the new home of the San Jose Barracuda in the AHL. So really excited to get a look at that facility, uh, which is going to be so important to the development of the San Jose Sharks as an organization and for their prospects and and for everybody. So uh, really looking forward to getting out there. But we've got a great event in in Buffalo as well. Uri Slavkovsky, the number one overall pick from the 2022 draft, is expected to play in Buffalo. Um, so that's really exciting to see that. Uh, Jake Sanderson, it was just announced by Ottawa, uh, the number five pick from the 2021 draft uh, or 2020 draft that will be able to uh, finally uh, suit up in a Senator's uniform. He had a freak hand injury at the end of last season. He has been cleared and it sounds like he'll play in Buffalo to get his preseason started. Um, a really important piece for the, for the Senators as they've basically gone into this new era of rebuilding. But you know, you'll, you'll also have the, the Young Stars event in Penticton. So you've got that's coming back. The Traverse City tournament that the Detroit Red Wings have hosted for years will be back and we'll have, you know, five teams on hand there. Um, there's the, the Carolina Hurricanes are hosting an event with four teams where they're at. Um, you know, there are only three NHL teams that will not have prospect teams competing in any of these events. So, you know, it's a great chance to get a glimpse of the future. And the reason, you know, the San Jose event, you'll actually be able to watch on Hockey TV, uh, which is a Flow Hockey subsidiary. And if you're familiar with hockey, and that's where the USHL was before, um, you, where you can still watch the North American Hockey League, a lot of the Canadian Junior Hockey Leagues, including the BCHL, um, those games will be on, on Hockey TV. So make sure you subscribe for that if you're a fan of any of those teams out West, because that is going to be a really intriguing event. And so I do want to talk a little bit more about the San Jose rookie faceoff. I know I touched on it before, but I want to talk a little bit more because I think there are some really interesting rosters that are going to be going to that event and some interesting players to watch there. So I want to spend a little time. You'll also be able to read a preview of this event on Flow Hockey where I'll talk a little bit more and can go a little bit more in depth on some of these players. But some of the guys I wanted to point out from specifically the San Jose rookie faceoff, especially since I'm going to be out there and really looking forward to it. I've, I've gone to that event. Um, two out of the last, uh, I think the last two years that it's been held in, in Anaheim and Arizona and now in San Jose, really looking forward to getting out there to see this. But, you know, I looked at the rosters and was really impressed to see Quentin Byfield from the Los Angeles Kings. He's listed on the roster. We'll see how many games he ends up playing. He did play 40 games for the Kings last season, former number two overall pick and a really important piece of the Los Angeles Kings future. He was, was last time when he was out there. He's this time. There is so much for him to kind of take that next step. Can, can he take that next step and be what the LA Kings want him to be? And I do think that he can be that. You know, he is a, a big center. He's now had an off season to train. He's had time and he's got that experience under his belt. And I'd like to see, you know, how, how much he'll end up playing in this event is really unclear, but to see him take that next step, can he be a leader at this event? Can he be a dominant player at this event? It would really set up his preseason quite well with the Los Angeles Kings because I think he is such an integral part of their future. And we got to only see a little bit of a glimpse. And, and the thing about Quentin Byfield is that, to me, he's always been more of a longer-term project than you know the, the surefire blue-chip prospect that was going to be able to play right away. He had the physical profile, but he still needed to, to round out his game. His game needed to mature. He needed to clean up some of the habits away from the puck. He needed to be more assertive with the puck. Those are the types of things that we'll be looking at. And that's actually the type of things that you should be wanting to look at from these top prospects at rookie events. These events are not make or break. This is not going to 
be the difference between a guy making the NHL roster and not. It's just a chance for these teams to get a view of these players before they go in against all the veterans and stars of the NHL in a preseason. They're going against their peers in these prospect tournaments. So there's there's a certain level that they should get to. And guys like Quentin Byfield in particular should be at a level above the vast majority of players there. That's what you would hope to see if you're a Los Angeles Kings fan. It's not always the case, but that's what we're hoping to see with Quentin Byfield. So that's something to be keeping a very close eye on. Another guy that I'm going to have a very close eye on at this event was a guy that I was watching very closely last time it was held, and that's William Eklund of the San Jose Sharks. Now, he got an audition with the Sharks and looked really good last season. He actually played you know, well in the games that he was in, and then they decided, you know what, we're going to send him back to Sweden. And it did not go well. Uh, he did not have a very good season over there. The team that he was playing on did not have a good season either. Um, so it was not a great situation in the end. I think it was the right decision based on what the Sharks kind of had it, at, at the time. In hindsight, maybe you would want to do over just because it wasn't really that great of an experience for William Eklund. So now I want to see, okay, that season didn't go well. How is he going to respond to that? And he can get a, off to a great start at the rookie faceoff, then go into training camp. He can win a spot. I think he's an exceptional talent. You know, I think his, his, his vision is unbelievable. The way that he sees plays, the different things that he can do with the puck, I think there's a lot there for him. And I would really like to see him take that next step and, and and make it so that the Sharks don't really have a choice but to put him right in the NHL roster and and give him an opportunity to go. Because you know there was a lot of chatter when he was sent back to Sweden that the NHL players on the Sharks roster weren't too happy about it. They thought the kid was ready. Um, management thought otherwise. And now there's actually you know a new management in. Mike Greer, now the general manager of the San Jose Sharks. David Quinn, the new head coach. So there's a lot of new things here. And... It'll be interesting to see kind of how that all works out for William Ecklin. But I, he's a guy that I will be watching very closely when I go to San Jose next week because I think he's got a chance to be a really special player. And it'd be nice to see him kind of take that next step early on in the rookie tournament. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Certainly, he's got more training camp to get ready and, and show what he can do. But I would really like to see him you know, take that next step. The next guy that we'll be keeping an eye on is Mason McTavish. He was the number three pick in the 2021 draft by the Anaheim Ducks. He was the MVP of the World Juniors. We talked about it earlier. The crazy finish. He makes the game-saving play in overtime, knocks a puck out of midair as it was about to cross the Canadian goal line, and minutes later, they are able to score the game-winning goal in overtime. It is one of those moments. He was the leading scorer of the tournament, and a defensive play is going to end up being you know, one of the best, most remembered things about it. Um, and he he very nearly tied the tournament scoring record for a Canadian, uh, which is which is really impressive. So uh, McTavish, you know, the thing that I'll be looking for him is how does he come in? How does he build off of what was a tremendous start to his summer? He should be ahead of his peers because he's basically had a, a, an event like the World Juniors where he looked like he was in midseason form. You know, is there any lingering fatigue? Is there anything that's lingering from any of that? And I would be really interested to see kind of where he is mentally, physically, and everything else. Because he is, when he is on his game, he is a dominant player. He is an absolute beast. And he's one of those guys that I think, you know, should make the Ducks roster this year, uh, should be a, a big-time player for them over the course of the season, and really a guy that I think should be in the Calder Trophy conversation if he continues on the track that he started on last season. That's what I'm really looking forward to seeing because 
Mason McTavish is a heck of a player and a guy that I really am going to enjoy watching over these next couple of years. Elsewhere, there's going to be a lot of prospects to watch. And Yuri Slavkovsky, of course, the most recent number one overall pick. There's a lot of expectation that he's going to make the Montreal Canadiens out of camp. He's got an opportunity to go into this Buffalo event and have an opportunity to, to you know, just be heads and, heads and shoulders above everybody. That might happen. It might not. But you know, if he is, I think that gives Montreal a lot more confidence going into their training camp of what he ultimately can be for them and how soon he can play for them. So that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, also, I just think, you know, for him, it's, it's an opportunity to play more games on a North American ice sheet. He spent all of last season in Finland with his club team, and then also his biggest moments came on international ice or in international events. Now, the Olympics actually was played on an NHL surface, which was one of his best events of the season. It was an NHL arena um, in China. He was the MVP of the Olympics, and that's a big reason why he ended up being the number one pick. And, and because he's also a six foot four, 215 pound power winger that can score goals. Um, so if he can you know, be that physically dominant player, if he can make some of those plays, I think that's going to make everybody a lot happier um, in Montreal and, and just getting ready because you know, there were a lot of fans out there that really wanted Montreal to draft Shane Wright. Could he be a top center? All these different things. Well, now they drafted Slavkovsky, who very well could be a top line winger for them right away. Now, will he be, it's up to him to kind of decide how that goes, but I, I think he will end up making their roster and he'll play with players that are going to be able to get him the puck and allow him to make some plays. So, um, you know, just to see him at a prospect tournament at this stage will be a lot of fun. Um, in Traverse City, there's going to be the guy that I'll be most interested in following in terms of how he does and how he looks is Simon Edmondson. Simon Edmondson was Picked sixth overall in 2021. He is an outstanding talent. He had a tremendous season in Sweden last year. The question is, is he ready to jump into the Detroit Red Wings lineup? Now, the Red Wings have made some moves. They've added some players. They, they're, they're trying to, to make some steps towards you know, being outside of a rebuild and, and starting to compete again. They've got a new coach in Derek Lalonde, who you know, is, is just coming off of multiple Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning and, and you know, being a... Uh, a Steve Eiserman pick, you know, like he's done very well with his coaching selections over the years. John Cooper, you know, many could say that he's one of, if not the best coach in the NHL with how good Tampa has been since he got there. And now you're bringing in a guy from that system in Derek Lalonde. But how he handles and how the organization handles Edmondson is going to be interesting because if you look at how they handled Moritz Sider, who won the Calder Trophy last year, they sent him to the AHL in his first season after the draft. He did very well, well there. When the season, when there was a lot of uncertainty about how the season would be, the Red Wings decided to send Moritz Sider to Sweden to play for Rogla. He goes there. He's a dominant force. He's making big plays. He's body checking everything that moves. Um, he is a dominant force in that league and playing top line minutes. That's the same league where Edvinson is coming from, where he took a big step forward developmentally and we started to see, oh, this is a guy that, that is, is starting to get ready for the NHL. Since the Red Wings had so much success at slow playing the development of Moritz Sider, I think that's probably the best path forward for Simon Edmondson as well. Edmondson did play at the World Juniors, and I'll tell you what, uh, to be completely honest with you Red Wings fans, he did not look good there. I thought that there were moments and flashes of solid play 
but it was not consistent. He didn't look like a top-level defenseman. He didn't look like a guy that was going to step into an NHL lineup and play 12 to 13 minutes a night as a rookie. That's not to say that he can't be better in a situation where he's surrounded by NHL players. We saw Lucas Raymond, who did not get slow played the same way that Moritz Sider did, walk into the Red Wings lineup last season and make an impact and be a guy that was among their top scorers last season. So they've had it both ways. They've had the Sider way and they've had the, the Raymond way. Now, naturally, with defensemen, it's harder for them to transition. But I think Simon Edmondson is one of those guys that is going to make uh, you know, that decision difficult on them. Because I, you know, it's my personal opinion that he's not ready yet. Based on everything that I've seen from him, even though he was so good last year in, in Sweden, I think it's hard to say, yep, he is absolutely ready. Now, if he goes into this rookie camp and he's a dominant force and he's playing physical and he's good defensively, he's making a few offensive plays, that's a great start. Then he's got to go do that in training camp as well. He has to make it hard on the Red Wings to send him back. I'm not sure if he's going to do that, but I'm excited to see him try. So we'll see what happens with Simon Edmondson, but that's one guy where I'd say if you are a Detroit Red Wings fan, he is too important to your organization to rush him. And Steve Eiserman has often been a pragmatic general manager, especially when it comes to player development. And they, and I think the Red Wings historically have done that as an organization. So not until he's ready. So if I'm a Detroit Red Wings fan, I'm not necessarily penciling him into the lineup just yet, but we'll wait and see. But that's a guy that I'm really interested in seeing. One other player that I wanted to spotlight is Yaroslav Askarov, who is the top goaltending prospect for the Nashville Predators. He was a first-round draft pick. He is a very intriguing talent. Didn't get a ton of playing time in the KHL after he gets drafted. I don't think that his development was really um, sound over the last couple of seasons. And as a result, I think the Predators have some work to do. Now, they got Askarov, who is Russian. They got him out of the country. They got him back. His contract was up last year. He managed to, to meet up with the Milwaukee Admirals in the AHL, and that's probably where he's going to play all of this season. And I, it's where I would want him to play all of this season if I'm a Nashville Predators fan. You've got UC Saros. You don't need a, a, a Yaroslav Askarov yet, but you do want him to start that process of, you know, can he be like the Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin and, and Andre Vasilevsky, the top Russian goalies that have come into the NHL over the years and become dominant within a short amount of time? I think Askarov has that potential. I've seen him a lot over the years. He's had his great moments. He's had some really terrible moments in big settings as well. Um, but I think in general, because of his size, his athleticism, his competitiveness, um, just how good he is at, at tracking pucks and, and, and getting pucks down low and, and stopping breakaways and stopping shootouts. I mean, he's, he's such a weapon on the back end uh, to, to, you know, to, for your team to, to feel so confident. But I think his confidence may be a little bit rattled after the last couple of years. So we're expecting the, the Nashville hasn't announced their prospect uh, roster yet. They'll be at that Raleigh event um, uh, playing against the Canes and the, the Lightning and the Florida Panthers. And, you know, if Askarov does go there, it's a great opportunity for him to just kind of get his feet wet. Those, those prospect tournaments are not often kind on goalies because you're dealing with a lot of, you know, you've got guys that are in camp on tryout contracts. You've got guys that are, you know, low draft picks that are just kind of hanging on and trying to get there. There are some guys that are just getting their feet wet, and this is their first kind of pro-level action. So it can be difficult on the goaltenders, those situations. But 
Askarov is the guy that I really truly feel um could be a could be a great goalie in this league. I really do. Um and the issue is now he needs to play and he needs to play consistently and he needs to get proper development and and just it's all about reps now. So you're going to need to be patient for him. Luckily, the the Predators have a fantastic goalie in UC Saros and they can slow play uh Askarov, but if he does get into this event in Raleigh, that's a guy that I'll definitely be watching closely because I think it's time for him to take the next step of his career. All right, so that's what we're talking about. That we, We've got through the NHL draft. We've gotten through the, the, uh, the prospect tournaments, which are coming up this week. And again, you can watch the San Jose Rookie Faceoff on Hockey TV. Really excited to get out there and watch that. But as I do every episode, the Q&A is coming with me. I, of course, I'm going to answer your questions. And if you ever do have a question for me, you can hit me up on Twitter, at Chris M. Peters on Twitter, or you can even ask at Flow Hockey. I'm sure I'll see it there too. But at Chris M. Peters is the best way to get your questions asked on the podcast. If you want to hashtag it, Talking Hockey Sense, you can do that too. But I will let you know if you get a like from me on that tweet, that means it's going in the show. Uh, so that is where you can hit me up for these questions. So I am going to turn the podcast over to the listeners. I did put out a call for questions for our first episode right here on Flow Hockey. And I am so excited to get to it. So, uh, Colt, if we can get the first question up here, I think we're going to get rolling. And uh, this one comes from uh, at Dad Sobels. Can we safely assume the league will fix the draft so that the Blackhawks can get Connor Bedard? I mean, plainly, the NBA would do that. <laughs> and the conspiracy theories have already begun. I had to start the Q&A with that one. We love conspiracy theories. All right. There's a lot of people that have actually said this already throughout the years that obviously the Chicago Blackhawks, they are in rebuild mode. They sold off a ton of pieces. Kirby Doc is gone. Alex DeBrinkett is gone. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are still there. Uh, but, you know, are they going to be gone eventually as part of this rebuild? What's going to happen with the two stars? Well, there's no question that the Chicago Blackhawks, when they are good, they are good for the league. They get good ratings. They get good attendance they get all that it's really taken a hit so they, they won their stanley cups in 10 13 and 15 and now they've fallen on hard times and some of it is self-inflicted as well they've got a new general manager they've got a new you know just a whole new system they've got a new coach and luke richardson um there's a lot of change happening within the blackhawks organization that said i know that i might be naive or whatever, but I don't think the NHL has any incentive to help the Chicago Blackhawks at this point. Um, and I, aside from the fact that it's a, it's a strong market when the Hawks are good. Yes, a Connor Bedard would in, inject more enthusiasm into that franchise, but I don't think that the, the NHL is going to be actively doing anything to make sure it happens. I think they probably don't love the way things are going in Chicago right now because the team is actively selling off parts. And it's pretty clear that they are preparing not to be a competitive team this year and maybe a few years beyond. Now, Chicago did get a bunch of draft picks in the last draft, including you know first-rounders. They ended up getting Kevin Korchinski um, and Frank Nazar and uh, Sam Rinzel, who you'll be able to see with the Waterloo Blackhawks in the USHL this year. You know, So their, their rebuild is starting, but I really don't think the NHL has any incentive to help them because the Blackhawks have had – you know, there are issues lately. Obviously, there was the big scandal um, involving their former video coach, and that has really 
taking the shine off of that organization on a number of levels. You can't, you can't ignore that. Um, you know, and you also have to think about so who are some of the other teams that are going to be around there? Well, the Arizona Coyotes are still in that mix for, you know, moving into that, that kind of range where, um, you know, they're, they're probably still not going to be very competitive this year. Um, and the fact that they're both, they're in the same division with the Blackhawks, it'll be very interesting to watch those Blackhawks Coyotes games, which will probably effectively be known as the Connor Bedard bowl. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. So to answer your question more succinctly, uh, Papa or dad Sobels, um, I'm going to say we cannot safely assume that. So that is the short version of that. And that brings me to my next question, which is about the Arizona coyotes. And it comes to us from our friend at big tortilla or at tortilla, big, big tortilla, if you will. Myotes would love to pick Connor Bedard, of course. If not, we would probably go with Adam Fantilli. Here are my questions. Who would you say is the better player, Adam Fantilli or Logan Cooley? All right, good question there. It's an interesting debate because Logan Cooley goes number three overall to the Arizona Coyotes in the last draft. And I really do think that Logan Cooley, um, in my opinion, was the best player available in last year's draft. I had him number one from midseason on to the end. I think he's the most skilled and dynamic player. Thing about Fantilli, and Bedar or Fantilli and Cooley, they're very different. Cooley's the smaller, quicker, you know, just all-out skilled player, whereas Fantilli is big, strong, fast, can make an impact. Now, if you were to ask me this question, and I'll just grade them out at the same age as they were, there's no question in my mind that Adam Fantilli is coming into his draft season on a higher plane than Logan Cooley came into his draft season last year. That's how I I need to, to kind of grade them. Now, Fantilli is a late birth date. So that means he's going to be one of the older players in this class. So he, it's not quite the same. They're, you know, they're, they're both 04s. Um, so I think long-term upside to me, Logan Cooley has a little bit more. I think the, the dynamic skill, the fact that he makes so many plays that, you know, you can't even see coming. That's the guy that where I'd be definitely concerned a bit more if I'm, uh, you know, uh, the opposing team. Adam Fantilli, however, can be a bull in a china shop sometimes. He he bowls over people. He gets to the net very well. He has high-end skill when he does get in close. He's got scoring ability. He's got good net sense. All those things are really great factors that make Adam Fantilli an exceptional player. But if it if it's down to who I think is the better projection longer term, as of right now, um, I would give Cooley the slightly higher ceiling, but it is not by a lot. All right. We've got another Arizona Coyotes question here, and this one comes from at Steven39, and he asks, thoughts on what the Coyotes paid to move up to take Connor Geeky? So this is a, a question that's lingering from the last draft, and um, you know it was an interesting decision where – the Coyotes were able to get up to number 11 and take Connor Geeky, who was a very highly regarded center, still is a highly regarded center. He's a guy that I'll be keeping a close eye on um, at that uh, San Jose rookie faceoff. But, you know, I would say that, you know, let's look at the cost. 27th overall, 34th overall, 45th overall to move up to number 11. That said, the Coyotes still picked 29th overall. They still had the 36th overall pick and they still had the 43rd overall pick. They were dealing with a surplus of Picks. And while I would say what, you know, if we take, if we only take a look at the number of draft picks that they gave up to what they got, I would say it was a bit of an overpayment 
But I think when you're in that situation as a team, when you have a player that you are really passionate about, that you think fits into your organization, and, and Connor Geeky does fit a very significant organizational need as a middle six center, a guy that can play in a lot of different situations, a guy with high-end upside in terms of his hockey sense and his size. He's not a great skater, but you've got great skaters around him. You've got Logan Cooley, who's an exceptional skater, and players like that, Dylan Gunther, is, is another guy that you know highly offensive that, that's in their system. If you look at it, the, the, the totality of evidence, if you're that passionate about Connor Geeky, I have no problem with that cost that you paid to get there because the Coyotes still managed to have another first-round pick, which they used on Maverick Lamoureux. That was the pick that I was a little bit less pleased with overall. I, I think that there's limited upside there, and I, I'm concerned about some of the, 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 the details of Lamoureux's game, but he does have that size and mobility factor. They also got Artem Duda in the second round and Julian Lutz in the second round. Um, and those are two players that are exceptionally high-end players with offensive skill and a lot more ceiling to get to um, than some of these other guys. But I would say that Connor Geeky fits a very significant need for the team, and that was absolutely worth them um, looking at. I think that was a really solid decision um, you know, in the end to say, hey, this is the guy that we really want. Let's make sure we get him. Um, and you know, Bill Armstrong has a tremendous track record at the draft, going back to his days with the St. Louis Blues. I think you know he, he's also got Ryan Jankowski and, and Daryl Plandowski on his staff um, as senior scouts and, and guys leading the amateur scouting department, and they came with with you know very good credentials. You know, I I think that's a very respectable move. And and in the end, you know, would he have been my pick? I had Connor Geeky ranked 19th on my rankings. Maybe not, but at the same time, organizational need was was met there. All right, moving on to our next one. And this one comes from at Kim Stoll. And Kim asks, do you see any Norwegians being drafted? At this very early stage of the season, um, it's tough to say. Uh, I haven't dug into the Norwegian class very strongly. Um, and really, you know, Norway has has been a, a place that produces one, three, you know, anywhere from one to two draft picks a season. So it's certainly possible. Um, if there is a player in that mix, I haven't necessarily seen it yet, but we're still at the very early stage of this draft. So I'm I'm still moving towards, um, you know, getting the totality of the class here. So until I get more views of Norway, and, and we need events like the, 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 the under 18 Division 1A, the, the World Juniors Division 1A, those lower tournaments that, and those are tournaments where guys like Moritz Sider played in them, um, you know, Tim Stutzla, they played in these lower tier international events, but they dominated those events and put themselves on the radar. And, you know, people like myself and, and obviously all the scouts, you, you take notice of that. So there are plenty of opportunities for Norwegian players to, to jump up in the draft this year. All right, moving on. And we're going to close it out with this one. And it comes from my pal at Jake Baskin, play by play. I hear some buzz about Jacob Fowler. It's been a few years since there was a prominent American draft eligible goalie. What is your opinion on him from what you've seen? All right, so Jacob Fowler played uh, a portion of last season with the Youngstown Phantoms in the USHL. I believe he'll be there uh, throughout the rest of this season, and it's a very intriguing prospect. Let me tell you that much. Um, he's got decent size. He's got pretty good, uh, pretty good traits, and he had a really good season in terms of his 
you know, his uh, his numbers and everything else. And I, I thought that, you know, to come into the USHL with a team that's a little bit, they were a little bit down on their luck and to have a good and, and have good numbers was pretty impressive. So, you know, he's he's a late 04. So he's a late birth date for this draft. 6-2-201 is what he's listed. And then, you know, had a 927 save percentage in 18 USHL games, went 11-4-1, and had two shutouts in that mix. He did get into one playoff game, um, but lost that game. So he came in, you know, mid-season essentially. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll tell you what, to go into that league at that stage of the year is really difficult. So, yes, now I've got my interest peaked. And that's he's definitely a goaltender that's been on my radar. Where he is relative to the rest of this class is going to be a little bit tougher to gauge at this point of the season because I think goaltenders are the ones that you need to watch the entire just arc of their two seasons leading up to the draft to have a feel. We got that luxury with a lot of the guys that we've seen over the last couple of seasons get drafted. And Fowler is one guy where you say, okay, what's he going to do th this season? How is he going to handle you know being the guy that has to carry the mail? He's committed to Clarkson University, which isn't necessarily a place that has had a lot of NHL draft picks, but under Casey Jones, it actually more guys are going there on an NHL track, and they've had players like Ethan Hader, um, who's a very good goaltender, go there and, and, and perform very well. So I'll be interested to see kind of where Jacob Fowler goes. I don't have a, a great answer for you, Jake, in terms of where I think he's going to end up, but I do think that he's a guy that is absolutely on NHL radars. He's certainly on my radar for this season. He's a guy I can't wait to watch the USHL Fall Classic in just a couple of weeks here. So looking forward to that one. So thanks to everybody that brought uh, questions this week. With all this, you know, it, it's been, it, we got a great season ahead. We've got a great season ahead for everybody. I can't wait for it. I know you can't either. And really, you know, on Flow Hockey, we're going to have so much hockey content for the rest of this season. We're going to have, you know, our rankings and everything else, but we're also going to be bringing you uh, better coverage than you've ever gotten on some of the leagues that, that we carry, like the ECHL, the USHL, the CCHA Atlantic Hockey. We'll have College Hockey America as well, and there will be a number of events throughout the year that will probably come our way that, that we'll be able to bring to you on Flow Hockey as well. So if you haven't yet, go to flowhockey.tv, take a look around the site, see what we have so far. There's a lot more coming, I can tell you that much. we got season previews coming your way. So go ahead and take a look around the site. If you like what you see, and also if you like the, the games, the live events that we'll be having this season, go ahead and subscribe to Flow Hockey. And if you do subscribe to flowhockey.tv, you'll be able to have access to all of the Flow Sports properties. So if you love racing, if you love wrestling, rugby, you know, football, basketball, a lot of college sports, you will be able to find them on Flow Sports. So do not miss any of that. Make sure you subscribe. Get all the hockey that you love and get all the other sports you love as well. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast because we need your help. Subscribe, rate, review, get the word out, share it, watch it how you know, watch it on Flow Hockey, listen to it on your podcast apps of choice, and continue to support this podcast because we have a lot of fun. So next week we're going to be back, same time. We're going to have that, that podcast for you. We're going to preview the USHL season. We're going to talk about what I've seen at the, the San Jose rookie faceoff and a whole lot more as. Hey, hockey season's here. Get ready. It's time to get rolling. We're excited for it. So for Colt, thank you uh, back there on the ones and twos. For myself, Chris Peters, and for Flow, Flow Sports, Flow Hockey, we thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. 
We will be back next week with another great episode. Can't wait to, to have it for you and can't wait to bring this to you all season long. So we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.